Hi everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of Capturing Climate Change. My name is Sean Murphy, and I'm your host. If you want to know a little more about me, or what this podcast is inspiring to be, please listen to the Capturing Climate Change trailer, within which I talk a little more about the big picture surrounding this podcast. This episode will focus on the film industry, and more specifically, how film and television productions are contributing to climate change. Before jumping into this episode, though, I want to reiterate for those of you who have not yet listened to the trailer for Capturing Climate Change, that I am not an expert in either climate change or the film industry. I'm simply someone who cares deeply about both and have questions I want answered about the two. I'm hoping you'll stick around, and as I find answers, I'll share them with you. One last aside before the episode begins, I want to warn you, the listener, that this episode contains a lot of information and may seem dry at times. I want to apologize for that in advance. My initial plan for this episode was to have it broken up by an interview with an industry insider. However, that fell through. I still find the information I have gathered interesting nonetheless, and so I have gone ahead and recorded this episode without the interview. And I hope you still find what I have to say informative and entertaining. With all that said, this is Capturing Climate Change, Episode 1. In my experience, when the film industry and climate change are mentioned in the same breath, people's minds jump to the films or TV shows they have seen that have tried to tackle the issue of climate change. And there's nothing wrong with that. There are some great films and TV shows out there that say something provocative or important about climate change. WALL-E and Princess Mononoke, for instance, are amazing animated films that appeal to huge swaths of viewers and have truly important messages about the dangers of capitalism and what societies unconcerned with waste can amount to. Extrapolations is a new TV series being released right now that claims to be showing a realistic look at what our world will look like over the next century if we do not change our ways. One huge issue researchers and activists have found when trying to get people in the Western world concerned about climate change is that its current and past effects have been way too remote for them to properly prioritize it. And film and TV have been a way to promote empathy and share what's happening outside the Western world with the hopes of emphasizing the dangers of climate change. What people do not seem to think about is how the production of these films and TV shows are themselves contributing to greenhouse gas emissions. The Sustainable Production Alliance, a group of members such as Amazon Studios, Amblin Partners, Disney, Fox Corporation, NBC Universal, Netflix, Participant, Sony Pictures Entertainment, Viacom CBS, and Warner Media, have been tracking just that question over 10 years now. And most recently, they released a report titled Carbon Emissions of Film and TV Production. For that report, the SVA averaged the carbon emissions from 161 films and 266 TV shows shot all around the world between 2016 and 2019. They measured these emissions using the Production Environmental Accounting Report, or PEAR, which is created in partnership by the SVA and the Producers Guild of America's Foundation's PGA Green Initiative. They found that the average footprint of a 10-pole film production was 3,370 metric tons. They classified a tentpole film production as a production with the below-the-line shooting budget, meaning a budget that does not include above-the-line expenses such as cast salaries or post-production expenses such as visual effects of 70 million U.S. dollars and above. That's about 33 metric tons per shooting day. That number is further broken up by showing that 48% of the 3,370 metric tons is from fuel use, while utilities make up 22%, air travel 24%, and housing 6%. What they mean by fuel use is that these large-scale film productions, whether filmed on location, in some remote jungle, or a historical site, or on a soundstage in a warehouse, require immense amounts of power for everything from lighting to sound equipment, the makeup department to personal trailers. 
and a lot of that power has to be supplemented using generators that burn fuel. Utilities refers to whatever power or water these productions draw and use from whatever local grid they can access, and air travel and housing are pretty self-explanatory. The average one-hour scripted TV show produces 77 metric tons per episode, with half-hour single-camera shows producing 26 metric tons, half-hour multi-camera shows producing 18 metric tons, and unscripted shows producing on average 13 metric tons. Each of these had a similar breakdown of fuel, utility, air travel, and housing contribution amounts. For reference, the average North American produces 16 metric tons of greenhouse gases per year. A similar study coming out of England, created by the BFI and BAFTA-led consortium Albert, titled The Screen New Deal, states that the average tentpole film production generates 2,840 metric tons of CO2. For further reference, it would take a forest of 3,709 acres a year to absorb that much CO2, or a forest the size of 2,810 football fields. That's 2,810 football fields. The BFI study finds that transportation accounts for approximately 51% of those emissions, with mains, electricity, and gas use accounting for around 34%, and diesel generators for the remaining 15%. The BFI study goes on to explore this subject in a lot more depth and provides some very helpful figures. For instance, an average hour of filming equates to the carbon footprint of a return flight from London to New York, and a lot of these emissions are due to the desire to be prepared for any situation so that tight filming schedules are not interrupted in case of a change in artistic vision or weather on any given day. For typical tentpole production, resource consumption data analysis shows that its total energy consumption could power Times Square for five days, fuel consumption could fill an average car tank 11,478 times, air miles equates to 11 one-way trips from the Earth to the Moon, waste generation equates to the weight of 313.5 blue whales, plywood use amounts to the volume of 2.5 cargo planes, and plastic bottle usage equates to yearly average use of 168 people. So, when I first read these numbers, I felt a sense of dread. I love films. Throwing on a stupid comedy or getting lost in great drama has got to be my favorite pastime. But now these numbers are all I'm going to be thinking about every time a new motion picture is released. While not wanting to ruin my favorite pastime, I decided to keep digging. And I can say with some comfort, there are people out there trying to change all of this. I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back, I'm going to tell you all about them. As you can imagine, the film industry has people working in it that care about climate change and want to see their industry do its part to reaching net zero emissions. This has led to a new position being created on movie and TV sets around the world, known by a couple different names. Eco-managers, green runners, and sustainability officers are a couple examples. In terms of what these positions do, it's quite simple as I understand it. They are either pre-production consultants or on-site voices that look for ways the production can be more sustainable, and they raise these suggestions to those who can enforce them. What suggestions they make, however, is where things can get quite diverse. Before getting into all of the different ways people are trying to make the film and television industry more sustainable, I wanted to do some of the people actually doing it. The first company I would like to talk about is Creased, an entertainment industry sustainability company founded in late 2019 by Eduardo Vietes a Spanish film and an advertising director. The New York Times wrote a piece about Creased most recently after they assisted the Goya Awards show, which is essentially Spain's equivalent to the Academy Awards here in North America. According to the article, Creased's advice prevented the release of 100 metric tons of carbon dioxide. That is the equivalent of 20 car trips around the world and enough to fill 50 Olympic-sized pools. 
They did this by having staff members take trains instead of flights and stay in hotels close to the ceremony venue. And according to the Goya's organizers, these actions alone cut transport-related emissions by 55%. And by knocking beef off of all menus for staff and attendees and serving vegetables, chicken, and fish instead, they reduced catering emissions by 40%. Priest quickly attracted 100 clients in its first year, including Telefoncia, IBM, Nestle, and Amazon Prime Video. As of the release of the New York Times article in 2022, Creased had a staff of around 30 people, including environmental technicians based in Spain and software developers based in India. Creased teams work at both the pre-production and production stages. To quote the New York Times article, Creased teams look over scripts, budgets, and production designs before shooting starts and assesses the project's carbon footprint based on information on the number of locations the transportation and accommodation needs, depending on whether crews are local or flown in, the energy requirements for filming and post-production, and materials used for props, costumes, and on-screen vehicles. Once the production gets underway, Crease team members are physically present to carry out checks on site, including measuring lighting and sound pollution and reviewing the sustainability certificates of vehicles and accommodations for cast and crew. This leads me into the other organization I wanted to discuss, Earth Angel. Founded and headed by one Emily O'Brien, Earth Angel is a similar startup company as Creased, only they are located in the U.S. They hire out green production coordinators, as they prefer to call them, to production companies hoping to make their shooting days more sustainable and low impact. They do this through suggesting that production crews hold the three R's sacred. Reduce the amount of energy and paper you need to utilize on set through clever practices like allowing your scenes to be brightened in post-production instead of trucking around massive floodlights when you don't need to, or use lived-in spaces instead of always building massive sets that will only get used for a couple of months. Reuse set materials and whole sets if possible, wardrobe materials and costumes. Lastly, recycle whatever you can, including all of the plastics like water bottles, and donate whatever food is left untouched at the end of a shooting day to local food banks and shelters. One thing Miss O'Brien has been quoted saying is of crucial importance is the proper measuring of a production's carbon footprint, because you cannot plan to contain emissions you don't know are being emitted. This is a sentiment that I have found to be prevalent in a number of materials discussing the sustainability of film sets, and so I'm going to use it as a jumping off point to return to some of the practices production studios can implement on their own if they want to start improving their policies concerning their sustainability efforts. On that note, I'm going to take a brief break, and when I come back, that's what I'll dive into. All right. As I was saying, one sentiment that I have noticed throughout a number of articles and reports, including both the BFI and SPA studies mentioned earlier, is that proper recording and reporting of carbon emissions is crucial to proper sustainability efforts. Without the proper tools to record a production's carbon footprint, emissions could be escaping without us even knowing about them. Now, some key initiatives aiming to improve reporting and increase the adoption of sustainable practices are already available and have been for some time. Some of these include the U.S. Green Production Guide, Interreg Europe's Green Screen Initiative and its partnership projects such as Film London's The Grid Project, the UK's Albert Carbon Calculator and Green Rider Initiative, and Film Flanders' Sustainable Filmmaking. To look at one of these in particular, the Green Production Guide, which I actually mentioned earlier while discussing the SPA report, as they use the Green Production Guide's PAIR tool to account for the carbon footprint of the films and TV shows they studied, as several different tools for production companies. They have their carbon accounting tool, as just mentioned. They have a plywood tracking tool, a sustainability best practices checklist, infographics outlining best practices, and resources for material and food donations. These types of tools seem to be more 
geared towards pushing industry-wide policy changes, as top-down regulation will make a transition towards sustainability faster. Implementing such changes on a case-by-case basis is not only harder and more time-consuming, but some will see changes as industry influence limiting creativity instead of pushing green initiatives. A lot of the suggestions that these tools make is summed up quite nicely by the BFI study, and so I'm going to return to that now to go through some of the actual changes productions can make. The study is broken up into five key areas, with the first being production materials. Currently, a large portion of production materials are purchased or made to specification, while reuse is perceived as a limiting factor. This needs to change, and the study suggests three main courses of action that can help promote such a change. To start, materials need to be reused more. At the moment, productions, and even those on the same lots being financed by the same companies, do not communicate about what they are using or what they need. To quote the study, networks that connect existing material stocks benefits with industry demands are required in order to facilitate reuse of materials at scale. Online sharing platforms can allow separate productions to exchange materials with each other and connect them with the other productions, similar performing arts industries, secondary material warehouses, and businesses or charities that can further extend material use. Warehouses and material passports, or key descriptive tags, will be required to properly see this type of strategy through and will have to be deployed strategically to cut down on shipping costs and emissions as well as time waste. Further, buying virgin materials needs to be done responsibly. That means doing so through responsible sourcing, cutting down supply chains when possible, and sourcing from companies, local if possible, that use sustainable materials. Lastly, set construction needs to be resource efficient. From the start, that should be should remain viable for future projects. Tools like parametric design should be used to maximize the use of existing materials. In case you don't know what parametric design tools are, as I did not upon first reading the term, the BFI report describes them as tools that use generative algorithms to explore thousands of design options in seconds and find optimal solutions that combine material constraints with creative, spatial, and other requirements. Where designs are more complex and cannot integrate existing materials, Parametric design tools can be used to generate design options that minimize virgin material use. Digital fabrication can also help cut down on waste as it ensures precision. The next key area is energy and water. Energy and water usage on film and television sets, as previously discussed, is horrendous, and convenience and flexibility rule over sustainability. In order to change this, energy demand needs to be reduced. The report suggests studio sites and buildings should incorporate passive design solutions such as daylighting, natural ventilation, solar shading, and solar gain to reduce the need for energy-intensive systems, such as electric lights and forced air heating, and ventilation and cooling that require a power source. Further, green infrastructure can reduce energy demand while also improving climate change resilience and enhancing biodiversity. Another suggestion put forward by the study is that production companies should turn to sustainable energy sources. Where companies cannot implement their own green power sources, studios could switch to green energy suppliers. Trailers with solar roof installations, biodiesel or battery-powered generators are available from suppliers. Renewable energy generation coupled with battery storage ensures reserve capacity in the event of exceptionally high demand or excessive pressure on the main grid, which makes them resilient and well suited to production's energy consumption patterns. Lastly, in this category, the demand of water needs to be reduced. Rainwater harvesting, which involves the collection, treatment, storage, and distribution of rainwater, would reduce the demand on water supply and drainage systems. Furthermore, things like waterless toilet solutions exist that minimize water demand, with chemical toilets being the most prevalent. 
third key area is studio buildings and facilities. To quote the report's description of this key area, the flexibility and adaptability of buildings has not been a priority for studios over the past few decades, with the needs of film production remaining relatively stable. However, likely changes in technological, operational, and overall industry requirements may see studios benefiting from flexible and adaptable design strategies for new and retrofitted buildings. To start, a suggestion under this key area is for production companies to start repurposing buildings, with the demand for storage spaces increasing, retrofitting existing large open plane shells has become a cost-effective and quicker alternative to building new sound stages. What needs to happen is these retrofitted spaces need to become flexible spaces designed to be used for some multiple functions to increase space utilization and rentability. Additionally, modular construction mixed with the renting of building components through product-as-a-service contracts can considerably reduce construction time on-site, cost, and waste generated compared with traditional methods. Further, it can support the reconfiguration and relocation of structures to meet changing occupant requirements and incentivize the use of real-time remote monitoring practices to deliver predictive maintenance. Lastly, smart building management can lead to more efficient and sustainable building usage. The fourth key area is studio sites and locations. This category really focuses on personnel and lot management, discussing how productions can better curb their emissions concerning the coming and going of personnel and the waste created on studio lots through better scheduling and planning. For starters, the consolidation of movement would cut down on vehicles in use on the road and on site, in turn reducing costs and air pollution. Often productions have to fly people in from all over the world to work on projects, and so the more they can be consolidated, and if group transportation can be provided each day, the less pollution will arise from their individual vehicles. Wayfinding and better communication can also help. Wayfinding refers to signage and graphics that signal the presence and location of sustainable initiatives across studio sites. These might include consistent waste and recycling points or health and safety requirements. Intuitive floor markers and clear images or colors will help those working on tight schedules still partake in sustainable practices like recycling and composting. Digital concierge services can also help by providing real-time information, booking services, and record-keeping. To quote the report on this topic, linking data such as corporate records, social media, or location data to building performance analytics can enable more responsive and personalized services and increase people's awareness of their personal impact on environmental performance. Health and well-being services can also assist in this area. Centralized catering facilities can cut down on individuals eating pollution-heavy meals due to healthy, eco-friendly options being readily available. Further, these facilities could significantly reduce single-use cutlery waste as well as target initiatives to reduce food waste. Locating work-life facilities on studio sites as well can cut down on unnecessary travel and providing crew and staff changing rooms with showers and lockers would allow staff using active forms of travel to get to work such as walking, running, or cycling and those wanting to exercise during their break times to shower before working. It's extremely difficult for people to change their personal habits, and so providing them with easy paths towards better habits can make a huge difference. The last key area covered by the BFI report is production planning. This section too is focused mainly on communication and proper planning, and how improvements in both can lead to more efficiency and less waste. For instance, as the report suggests, collaboration tools allow everyone on the production to communicate and share files from a single point. They avoid parallel conversations and information asymmetries typical of email exchanges. 
These platforms integrate scheduling tools to allow more responsive and agile coordination. They can also have sustainability reporting functions built into them, such as automatic reporting based on available data. Further, the data required by carbon reporting tools could be collected by collaboration platforms for accurate reporting and for widespread sharing to better understand the sustainability challenges the industry faces. Virtual planning can also help through the use of tools like virtual reality and 3D capture technologies, each of which could provide directors and producers with the tools needed to plan out shots and sets before materials need be wasted. Virtual planning on a larger scale would also help. By that, I mean sharing infrastructure like making procurement services company-wide cut down on transport emissions and costs, and perhaps an industry-wide sustainability fund to reduce the associated enterprise risk for those who take the initiative potentially covering initial setup costs and part funding operations. So that concludes all of the suggestions made by the BFI study. I know it was a lot of information, but none of the suggestions seem unreasonable to me, and so they give me some hope that production companies will begin implementing them. I think a crucial element that needs to be re-emphasized more, though, is that the majority, if not all of these suggestions, will cut down on costs and will boost sustainability in the long run. Ensuring that element is clear will definitely help push these suggestions along. Now, before I end off this podcast, there's one more option I found that is open to production companies I would like to discuss. I was made aware of it through a case study I came across in my research done by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change on an independent film out of Mexico, titled, and excuse my pronunciation here, Boss de Novela, the independent film was already produced sustainably through the use of only natural light for filming, the electricity they used for equipment was generated by solar panels, they harvested some of their food, used dry toilets, and their water was heated with sustainable wood. However, the production went further, and they compensated the emissions they could not avoid through the use of UN-certified emissions reduction credits, or CERs, through the UN's Climate Neutral Now initiative. CERs come from projects registered under the UN's Clean Development Mechanism. They include projects in developing countries, which provide a credit for each ton of greenhouse gases reduced or avoided. The 8,100 CER projects and programs in 111 countries range from clean cook stoves and water purification projects to wind power and large industrial gas projects. Whether or not the purchasing of CERs is all it's chalked up to be or even a viable sustainability option for large-scale productions, I'm not sure. But I found the option interesting and wanted to mention it. So that is where I'm going to conclude this episode. I know that was a lot of information, but I hope you found it interesting and entertaining. I would also like to make clear that I'm not expecting any big-wig studio execs to listen to this and immediately change the way they operate their business. I made this episode so that hopefully it can help some of you calm your nerves about the ways forward that are available to the film and television industry, which I imagine you're interested in if you made it this far. Learning this stuff certainly did that for me. It's clear that in order for the Western countries to reach net zero, their film industries will have to achieve it as well. And knowing that organizations like the BFI, BAFTA, and PGA are taking climate change somewhat seriously makes me hopeful some of this information will make it through to those who can implement real change. With that, this has been Caption Climate Change. Thank you for listening.